We are in Psalm 100. Read with me here. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him, singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the joy that we have that comes from you. Lord, I ask that you would bless this service today. Lord, help it to build us up. Lord, help it to challenge us. Lord, help it to live out our faith in our everyday life. Lord, I ask that you be with each and every one of us here. Help us to focus on you. Be with those who are at home, Lord. I ask for whatever reason, Lord, bring them healing, bring them comfort. Uh, Lord, bring them closer to you, first and foremost. Lord, we ask and pray all these things in your name. Amen. Psalm 100. Short in its words, but powerful in its application. It happens to be my favorite psalm. If I come visit you in moments of illness, you will be read this particular psalm. And the reason being because there are seven things, seven characteristics of God that are listed in this particular psalm. I know that traditionally speaking, today is supposed to virtually be the first day of the Advent season. But I I don't want to quickly go into the Christmas season without at first acknowledging to being thankful to God. In fact, I think the more we know and understand about the greatness of our God, then all of a sudden the miracle of Christmas becomes a more celebrating, if you will, opportunity. In fact, uh, if you're looking for my theme for next month, it's difficult to remind you of Christmas when you probably know more about it than I do. But I trust that this year my theme is going to be the miracle of Christmas. And we're going to look at four events. First of all, the miracle of fulfilled word. Then we're going to look at the miracle of the account, the name that is above all names. We will look at the miracle of miracles, the birth. And then lastly, we will look at the miracle of what is yet to come, Christ coming again. That's going to be our theme for the next four Sundays. But this morning we find ourselves in Psalm 100. 
The story is told of a man who took his girlfriend out for dinner. And when they sat down, he laid an elaborate box on the table to celebrate her birthday. All the while they were eating dinner, she kept thinking about this box because it was a big box. And she wanted to know what was inside. She couldn't hardly eat. She waited to open the gift. She wanted to know what was in it and not knowing was killing her. But her boyfriend told her to open the gift after dinner. All she could think about what was in the box. Finally, dinner was over. Can I open it now? Yeah, you can open the box. She opened the box and pulled out a pillow. Oh, wow. I mean, this is a nice pillow, but it's a pillow. She turned the pillow over, thinking that maybe something was taped on the back side, and there was nothing. Well, thank you. It was obvious she was disappointed that she got a pillow. Her boyfriend got up, took the pillow from her. And laid the pillow on the floor. He got down on one knee and took her by the hand and said, Will you marry me? I thought for sure you ladies would have gone, Aww. <laughs> she forgot about the pillow. The one who gave her the pillow now became a whole lot more important. We're a lot like that girl when it comes to being thankful to God for blessings we receive. Sometimes uh, the blessings don't seem to be something we're very interested in receiving. We may be expecting something, but when the blessings come, they don't match up with what we would perceive as being needed. Yet when God takes that which we don't think we need, and makes it into that which is much more important than we first thought, all of a sudden, we catch a fresh glimpse of who the giver really is. And we lose sight of what we once thought was significant. When you read Psalm 100, you are ish ushered into the realm of what is known as worship. The psalmists says, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Worship. Do you ever realize that Thanksgiving is part of worship? We gather here at church to corporately thanks, to give thanks to and remember the faithfulness of God and the grace of God which has been at our disposal in the previous days. We gather here at church to corporately give thanks to rehearse the faithfulness and grace of God that will be our, at our disposal for the coming days. 
And we gather here at church to corporately give thanks to be renewed by the faithfulness and grace of God that will carry us through those coming days. Thankfulness, thanksgiving. They're not talking, this psalm does not talk about turkey and gravy and, and blessings and all other good things. It's talking about being thankful to God. So Psalm 100 is about remembering, rehearsing, and renewing ourselves and knowing who our God really is and how we can successfully worship him. In fact, there are seven things in this psalm. And when you consider and apply this knowledge to their life, then you'll be more close and constant, more inward and serious in worship of our great God. So let us know then these seven things that the Lord God of heaven with whom we have to do in all our acts of worship. First one is this. No. No. It's interesting that the psalmist begins in verse 3, he says, no. No something. This particular word is short, but it's very powerful. It is something in the Hebrew that catches the understanding that is something that we are to ponder, to consider, and then to apply it to our lives. It's not just the garnering of information to pass a test. It literally is to absorb to come to a deeper understanding and appreciation of the one for whom we call our God. It's almost like husbands who have been married for an extended period of time, when they know their wives, not just by information, some of it is by experience, unfortunately, I've known that I've made mistakes. I know what my wife does like. I know what she does not like. Can I get an amen? The chances of me getting a German shepherd are slim and none. But there's always hope. There's always hope. I know that my wife does not like a lot of fanfare for her. I can give her $100 to go shopping and she'll bring back 99. Most likely the dollar she spent went into a bell ringer's bucket. That's just who she is. And she knows me, which in itself can be scary. Because we find ourselves many times to be on opposite ends of the pole. What I like, she doesn't. What she likes, I don't. But we find ourselves knowing each other even more and more. After 47 years, there's still things to learn. I don't know how long it has been since you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you've become even more and more aware that what you once thought you knew all of a sudden has changed. He's unfathomable. 
You will never know everything there is to know about him. In fact, so fantastic is that thought that we're going to be all eternity trying to figure it out. We'll never know everything there is to know about him. But the psalmist says we are to know. In fact, he says you are to know the Lord your God. First thing, know that the Lord, he is God. He is God. The very existence of every worldview rests upon five questions. Question number one, who is God? What is God? Question number two, what is truth? Question number three, how did we get here? Question number four, what is the purpose of my life? And question number five, what happens when it's all over? Those five questions are answered in this short psalm. Who is God? Know that the Lord, he is God. When, when you stop to think about it, he is the only living and true God. There was no one before him. There will be none after him. The scriptures tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable, unchangeable. He is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. Always was, always will be. He is the sustaining one. He's the creator of all that there is. And he is the fountain of life that continues the process of providing. The total number of pages that are written for us from the beginning to the end and what we hold in our laps this morning as the word of God still cannot contain all that he is. He's only given us the information that we need in order that we may know who he is. Our God is above all of our works of man and will not be controlled by them. He cannot be matched by any idol, cannot be moved by any whim, cannot be manipulated by any thought, cannot be mastered by any philosophy and cannot be manufactured by any religion. He is who he is. When you go to the book of Exodus in chapter 2, it is there that God even reveals his name the first time to mankind. For he says to Moses, tell them, I am that I am has sent you. This is my name, God said, that I will be remembered for all generations. I am who I am. 
translated in our scriptures in all capital letters, Lord. But in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh, the great God above all gods. The psalmist says, know him. Not just informationally, but experientially. Know him, for he's worth knowing. The second thing, it says, know that the Lord is our creator. It says that it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. He is the creator. I love both David and the prophet Jeremiah have said the same thing. They said, you knew me even before I was conceived in my mother's womb. You knew me. He is the creator. It is he who has made us. And we do not and could not make ourselves. Mankind was created to bear the image of God because it says in the book of Genesis, let us make man in our own image. As image bearers of God, that means that we have intellect, emotion, and will. That separates us from every other created thing. Intellect, emotion, and will. Our very being is de derived from God and is dependent upon him. Do you realize that if it wasn't for God, you would not even be here this morning? I'm not talking about spiritually. I'm talking about physically. To realize that this earth is in the right place to create a planet that human beings can be sustained and lived upon. How is it that a gas known as oxygen does not float away when most other gases do? It sustains us. It keeps us. Why is it that rain falls and does not fall up? Because God determined to refresh the planet upon which we stand. How is it that you can put a seed in the ground and it will yield 100-fold more than what was planted? Because God determined it for sustaining all of life. How is it that a light can stay on the backside of a bug how is it that a bird that is impossible to fly can fly? How is it that an insect was diametrically investigated should not be able to do what it does, but a bee can create some of the sweetest things the world has ever known? It's because our God is the creator. 
That's how magnificent he is. The writer of this psalm says, don't forget that. Know that. Let that be the foundation of your thanksgiving. The third one is this. Know that the Lord is our rightful owner. We are not our own. We are his. He is our rightful owner. I, I don't know how that sets with you here this morning, but there are times that I see even in my own life when I don't like that classification. I'm like a little child too often. I'm like a little child that when they first start to try to tie their shoes and as a parent you bend over and try to help them and the first words that come out of their mouth are, I can do it myself. I believe that's why they've invented Velcro. Don't we do that often to our God? I can do it myself. But yet... What is Jesus' words in John chapter 15? As he compares him to the vine and we are the branches, Jesus said, but without me, you can do what, everybody? Nothing. Without me, you can't do anything. Our allegiance is to our great God. He made us, the psalmist says, and he's, and his we are, or to him we belong. The, the Hebrew scribes put it together a little bit differently, and it really comes out clearer when, you, when they put some words together. It says, when you put both of the readings together, we learn that because God made us and not we ourselves, Therefore, we are not our own, but his. Uh, too often, we say, I can do it myself. And how foolish is such a reasoning when in reality, our very existence depends on the provisions of God. He made us, and not we ourselves. Fourthly, as our time is fleeting. It says, know that the Lord is our sovereign ruler. It says in, in the phrase in verse 3, it says, we are his people. He's the sovereign ruler. We are his people. This means we are subjects and he is the king. We are his subjects and he is the ruler. <laughs> I, I have to chuckle often when I hear men in political realm make promises that they know they cannot keep because they first have not asked God. I've not yet heard a politician say, if the Lord wills. I've not heard of higher authorities say, if God wills, no. But they forget that because God is the sovereign ruler. He made it all. He owns it all. 
And just in case you think that we know it all, I challenge you on a nice crystal clear night, somewhat when it gets down to about 20 below zero, and it's that clear and it's that cold that the hairs in your nose freeze as you breathe in. Then look up and see the crystal clearness of God's creation. And in just in case you forget, God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, he said, look to the sky, the stars that you see will be the number of the descendants from your loins. And then God accentuates the greatness when he says, and I know the names of all of them. Isaiah describes it a little bit differently when he says that God holds the very oceans of the earth in the palm of his hand. And not one drip falls to the side. He knows the weight of all of the mountains of this earth. He is the sovereign king. Which literally means that we, as his people, have a responsibility. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, after he describes the chores, if you will, of the biblical believer talking about building upon a foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. He then finishes by saying, if anyone's work that has been built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We owe everything to the king because he's sovereign. Fifthly, he is our bountiful benefactor. That's a big word for first thing on Sunday morning. He is the bountiful benefactor. We are not only his sheep who he is entitled to, but we are the sheep of his pasture. And he takes care of us. And reminding ourselves of Psalm 23, it is there that the king or the, the uh, Lord of the shepherd. When you read that, you find out that you have no need of anything. He is the benefactor. He is the bountiful benefactor. And those words are written by Israel's king. Once in a while, it's good to go through that Psalm 23 and remind yourselves of all that he gives to us. Number six. Know that the Lord is infinite in mercy and good. Verse five says, for the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting. The words are, the Lord is good. 
And therefore, everything that he does is good and for his glory. Everything. We may not understand everything that he does. But I guarantee you, there is no evil in it. He is good. And his mercy is everlasting. Mercy is that characteristic of God whereby he gives to us those things that we do not need or should not have. And he keeps from us those things that we should have. For instance, eternal death. That's mercy. That's mercy gaining from his hand those things that we do not deserve. Mercy and grace are the twin tracks that the train of salvation rides upon. Both are met through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Is the key issue. And lastly, but not leastly, the psalm stops with an enduring statement. The truth endures to all generations. His truth. He is truth. Jesus in John chapter 17 Praise for us when he says, Lord, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's the question that Pilate put to Jesus himself when he said, what is truth? Everyone is trying to find out what truth really is. But the amazing thing of it is, dear people, is we have written for us the very truth that comes from the very person that this truth will never fade away. You might remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle of my word will pass away. Why is that? Because John tells us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. For the Word of God to pass away, to stop, Jesus would not be alive today. But he lives. Let me come back to the five questions of every worldview who is God? He is the sovereign one. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. What is truth? He is truth. Because it says his truth endures for all generations. How did we get here? He is the creator and the sustainer of all that there is. What is my purpose on this earth? For we are the sheep of his pasture. 
He created us and not we ourselves. What will happen when it comes to an end? His truth endures to all generations. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word is God. The end for all of those who trust in the truth is eternal life in Jesus Christ. The celebration of that begins in December and it runs through Easter. I trust that this particular psalm, short as it is, will become more powerful to you as we come and worship our great God. Let's stand as we're dismissed in prayer. The greatness of our God is a familiar song to the younger generation. How great is our God? Sing with me. How great is our God? How great is our God? Age to age the same. And how we praise you, O Lord God, how great you are. I pray that this particular season that we are removing ourselves from one threshold and entering into another, we will not soon forget to be thankful and to worship and to adore you. As a very famous Christmas carol, oh come, let us adore him. May that be a theme of our lives day by day, moment by moment, as we worship you in thanksgiving and praise. I ask your blessing upon these people that each step that they take in this coming week will be engaged in worshiping you, whether through song, whether through life, whether through prayer. May everything that we do bring you honor and glory, and I praise you in your name. Amen.